0: For more information, visit multrimobile.com.
1: What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticamp. I'm your host, Josh Raley. I've got a good episode in store for you today. I got a chance to talk with John Roach. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it may be because John is the guy that I met back in, uh, well, let's see, turkey season in April. Met face to face anyway. So John and I have talked on the phone before, talked over Instagram before. He's the guy that messaged me way back. I guess it was in February and said, hey, man, I, I listened to the show. I saw the buck you killed. I'm pretty sure I know where you killed it. Is this where? And he sent me a map and it was basically like the exact spot where I had killed the buck like like literally on the ditch crossing where I'd killed the buck. So I was like, "Okay, I got to get this guy on the phone. Uh obviously we got to talk." And so, anyway, come to find out we hunt a lot of the same areas. We finally met in person in April when I was up in Wisconsin to turkey hunt. We met that morning and by that afternoon he was uh filming me and calling turkeys for me so uh, we had a successful hunt there i think we hunted we left the truck at two o'clock had a turkey on the ground by three and had like a half mile walk in between that you know so uh very very quick hunt but john's a great dude had an awesome time hunting with him and a great time catching up with him because one of the things that john does really really well and something that i strive to do as well is gain permission on multiple properties. Now there's a couple of mistakes that we can make as as sportsmen when it comes to getting permission on properties. Number one is finding a property that's pretty good and just sitting back and enjoying that one property, hunting on that one property. And if, you know, if it's a great year on that property and you've got the bucks there or the birds there that you want to hunt, awesome, then your hunting is good that year. If you have a year come around that, you don't have the bucks and you don't have the birds that you're after you just kind of struggle through it and maybe that's the year that you don't get anything uh for some like me that that's just not an option like i don't want to hunt a property that doesn't have a buck of the caliber that i'm after i don't want to hunt a property that doesn't have turkeys on it and sit in a blind and hope that you know one is going to wander by or go out in the morning and hope that i'm gonna hear one gobble so Um, for me finding a property or finding multiple properties in a general area that are all kind of game rich knowing that you know if this one turns off then I've got three four five more properties that I can bounce to and on one of these properties I'm gonna have what it is I'm looking for it's crucial very very crucial to have uh, permission for that reason on on multiple properties and not to mention just the reality that we lose hunting permission right like we You know, folks pass away and land changes hands. Uh, Public land goes away. You know, leases end. Leases specifically that are like to the state, uh, those oftentimes end. And next thing you know, your favorite public piece is no longer there. In this episode, in fact, I alluded to that happening uh, when I lived in Alabama. So I had a public land spot that I used to love to hunt when I was a kid uh, called the Boykin Wildlife Management Area and on the boykin wildlife management area it was uh, i killed my first buck there i killed my last public land buck in alabama that i've killed uh there on that piece of public and that very next year after i killed uh the last public land buck that i've that i've shot in alabama uh, we lost that property it was leased to the state and that lease ended and the landowners decided to do something else with it which is totally within their rights But man, it really is a bummer. And then just recently here uh, in Georgia, you may have been seeing on Instagram and other places the the petition to save Pine Log. Well, Pine Log was a, I don't know, roughly 15,000 plus acre management area here in the Atlanta, Georgia area, which is not far from me. And uh, I have not made it personally to Pine Log yet, but it's within an hour of me. And I was really hoping to get to hunt it. But next thing you know, that was a, a piece of property that was leased to the state by a family. The family decided, you know what, it's just not economic anymore for us to, uh, It, the family decided, you know what, it's just not a sound economic decision for us anymore to continue to lease this to the state whenever we can sell this thing for, I don't know what it's going to go for, something like 60 plus million dollars. Uh, ridiculous amount of money. So, Um, Yes, we just lost that. Another fifteen or 16,000 acres right here around the Atlanta area that used to provide outdoor opportunities for folks is now gone. So think of the number of hunters that are now going to be displaced. And And if guys that hunted pine log, if that was their only spot, or if the guys who hunted Boykin in Alabama, if that was their only spot, or if you, there in Wisconsin, in southern Wisconsin or northern Wisconsin, wherever it is that you find yourself, if you've got one piece of land and it changes hands, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? So that's what we talk about today, the importance of finding uh, permission on multiple pieces of public ground. And then we go into how John does it, because I thought I had permission on lots of places and, and I do. To be honest with you, I to be fair, 100%, I have permission to hunt on more places than most people. That's just because I've had the time to devote to asking for it, right? Like, and I've, I've just found a lot of permission. I've been blessed with deer permission on a lot of different properties. Some of that is early season only. Some of it is post gun season only. Some of it is late, late season only, like December 15th and on. So it, it just depends. It may not be an ideal spot, but I've got permission on a lot of places. But man, when I talked to John and when I looked at John's on X, uh, That dude's got permission on a lot of places to pursue lots of different kinds of game, whether it be waterfowl, turkeys, deer, what have you. He's got permission on a lot of different places. So in this episode, we talk about why it's important. We talk about how he goes about finding the properties that he wants to ask permission on, and then how he goes about the the process of asking permission. Sometimes it's hard to figure out who even owns these places because a corporation or an LLC will actually be the listed owner in on x or some other app and you've got to do a little digging a little bit of homework so we talk about how to get beyond that barrier uh great episode this is that time of year guys if you're not finding hunting permission right now you're behind the eight ball you're you're out of the game almost for that september opener so listen to this episode take some notes get out there start knocking on doors start sending letters start making phone calls whatever it is you've got to do To make sure you can diversify the lands that you are able to hunt a couple other things for you to do before we get into hunting season or before we get any closer number one if you're thinking about filming your hunts now's the time to head over to tacticam.com pick up a 6.0 or a solo extreme camera both of those cameras are going to help you film your hunts this year i think they are the uh the smartest the simplest the cheapest way to get into uh, filming your hunts in a high quality kind of way That 6.0 camera is going to give you 4K, 60 frame per second footage. The Solo Extreme is going to give you HD footage, which is still amazing, especially if you're uh, just wanting to share it with folks or you're wanting to upload it to YouTube or something like that. That is more than enough. They both feature a weatherproof housing, which is awesome. They both connect to a remote control, uh, which is one of my favorite accessories of theirs by far the one touch remote control Uh, they also both have one touch operation. so if you press that button that thing's recording you press the button again the thing stops recording you press and hold the button the thing goes off Uh, and it's it's as simple as that so head over to their website tacticam.com pick up a 6.0 or a solo extreme camera and make sure you get the mounts and adapters that are made specifically for them because uh they've got one that is going to work for your scenario whatever that is whether you're hunting with a bow hunting with a crossbow hunting with a rifle fishing hiking biking whatever you want to do tacticam has you covered also on x we are getting close to the uh days of summer that i just i'll be honest with you i don't like to scout unless i'm in a truck or sitting on a couch i am not a big fan of Uh, busting brush this time of year. I just don't enjoy summer scouting very, very much, unless you know I'm in a car or I'm able to cover some ground on an e-bike or something like that, or I'm sitting on my couch using the Onyx Hunt app. So uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about Onyx and how important that is for us to be able to find properties that we want permission on. It's also critical for doing your summer scouting because this is that time of year that I like to do an absolute ton of map scouting just spend a couple of hours pouring over different properties making a checklist in my head for you know when the weather starts to turn just a little bit that's when i'm really going to be getting out there and getting after it i have a young family i've got three kids who are eight six and four years old my scouting and my hunting time is limited so when i get out there i want to have as many options as possible to scout and have all of my ducks in a row the Onyx Hunt app helps me do a lot of that pre-work from home. That way, when I'm in the field, I can be as efficient as possible. And then, while I'm in the field, I'm right there making notes, uh, taking pictures, marking things right there in the app. They're going to be there whenever I get home, so I can be super, super efficient thanks to the Onyx Hunt app. If you're not using them already, go head over to the app store of your choice and just search Onyx Hunt. Uh, you can also head over to their website if you have any questions, Onyx Maps. Now, here is my conversation with John Roach, talking about getting permission on new hunting properties. All right, joining me for this week's episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is John Roach, uh, my impromptu camera guy from my hunt in Wisconsin. John, what's going on, buddy?
2: Not much, not much. Looking forward to doing the podcast, and good to to be on the show with you.
1: Yeah, man, glad we could connect again. Uh, So, we first talked... I feel like I need to share this story. I've talked about it a little bit on the podcast before. So we first talked, I get a message on, on Instagram and it's some guy who's like, Hey, I'm pretty sure I know where you killed that deer. And I was like, huh? Okay. And then it turned out this guy knew exactly where I killed my deer, including basically what tree I killed that deer from, uh, you know, knowing exactly where I was at. Uh, That guy turned out to be you. So I gave you a call. We talked for a little bit. I was on my way back from uh, a consulting job here in North Georgia where I was working on 140 acres of um, just mountain terrain, whitetail property. So I just had my tail whipped for the entire day and had a long drive home. So I was like, let me call this guy and see what's going on. And uh, man, turns out we hunt the same area. We've got permission on some, some of the same farms to hunt. And uh, yeah. we both have a passion for not only the animals that live around this specific area, but having access and permission to different properties in the area. And uh, yeah, we kind of hit it off, man. So what, first of all, without going into too much detail, how in the world did you recognize, like what was going through your head when you recognized where I killed that deer?
2: So I, I kind of had heard through the grapevine that you hunt in the general southern Wisconsin area. And when a couple of things that I noticed was, well, first of all, when you described it, I, you know, it was the, the bird hunting that goes on on the, on the property. Well that narrows it down quite a bit. Um, and then kind of knowing the general area and I saw, I looked into it a little bit I looked at the buck and kind of the background of the pictures. And, and then I started looking back on posts. Cause I actually hadn't, hadn't, um, found your podcast until about around that time. And I looked back in your post and I saw an aerial picture, and the certain shape of the the river, the bend in the river, was kind of like, huh, that looks pretty familiar. And I started looking, <laughs> and I actually ended up finding the exact the exact spot, that little dip in the ditch. And and I actually had I pulled up uh, a couple different maps, and I actually sent you that uh, the ArcGIS map with the yep. one foot elevations and. And the cool thing about that is now that I know you killed a buck there, I don't even have to go to your spot there. I'm just going to go to the other spots on the property that, you know, normal people can't find. <laughs> Cause you see, you pull up that map and yep. you see these spots and these ditches all over that, you know, that look and I looked at the spot that I kind of thought it was. It's like, yeah, that's exactly what he described. Yep. But, uh, but yeah. So then we started talking and it turns out we, yeah, we hunt the same area and we kind of were, finishing each other's sentences with certain areas of have been deer. And that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that was awesome. I I love to, and I was talking with Aaron Hepler about this over on the how to hunt deer podcast. One of the things I love is to build, at least in, in what I've been able to do over the last couple of years, building a community around the place where I hunt. Like I'm not necessarily going out trying to advertise like, Hey, I hunt in this spot. Anybody want to come hunt here? At the same time, I love to know who's out there hunting with me, and I don't feel like it's a competition f- to have other guys on these pieces of public. You know, I would rather yeah. have a guy on a piece of public that I get to know. He's hunting out here already. We might as well strike up a friendship. Like, next thing you know, we can share intel, and we both are going to be more successful from that. Or, you know, yeah. all of us, who, however many are hunting in a group, are more successful that way rather than trying to hoard information to ourselves and, you know, just have a little tiny piece of the picture because I think you were able to connect some dots for me as far as, you know, my understanding of this particular property. I think I've probably been able to make some, you know, connections for you as far as how the deer were using that spot where I was hunting, specifically in daylight, because that's a spot I think you probably would have gone past given your style. You're a little more like, Mm -hmm. man, I'm going way back in there. And I do some of that as well. And in fact, I had bounced...
2: Oh, go ahead. I did walk past it actually yeah. this season. Yeah. So I actually walked past just south of the river there. Yep. I was walking back and kind of scouting my way back, and I found a ton of deer signs south of that river, like straight south from where that ditch hits the river. Yep. And my thought was it was too close to the access. It was it was over a half mile from the access, but like that access, you know, I can't imagine anyone would really hunt in that. You know that the access is on because it, like everyone's going to pull a deer out of there, and this spot that I went through is like just past you know where you walk to um, to get to that. So I was walking through there, and it, there weren't any rubs though, which kind of concerned me. I was like, yeah, there aren't any bucks coming through here. But it's like that was like sixty to eighty yards from where you killed that one. Yeah, yeah, real, you know, real close. What I, it's really good to know that know that just across the river is kind of where the bucks are hanging, and it seemed like, but it did seem like there was a ton of deer signs the south of the south of the river. Yeah, and like now I, I'm logging that and remembering that for next time. I'm because I get a lot of times I get stuck on trying to find too much buck sign, mm. and uh, it's important to realize like just you don't have to always hunt in areas that are, you know, have just rubs everywhere scrapes everywhere. I just get, I get kind of tracked on that, but that's kind of a good example of, you know, being able to connect the dots with each other's information.
1: Yeah. I think that's huge. And, you know, one of the things that I focused on this year that I think really paid off, um, because the, but you're right, the buck sign in there was not what it, what you would expect or want it to be necessarily. Um, and in fact, in past years in that same general area, I don't know if you've walked it in past years, but in past years the buck sign in there has been phenomenal. Like there, you know, that's really what keyed me into that general area. And I had trail cameras up and I showed you pictures of some of the other bucks that had been walking around in yeah. there in daylight, including that one uh, you know, absolute giant slob of a deer, uh, way bigger than the one that I killed. And he was south of the river. So it's like Okay, yeah, you know, he was he was there. How often? I don't know. How often was it daylight? I don't know, but he wasn't leaving a lot of sign. I got pictures of him on a scrape a couple of times, but, you know, he was, I mean, the scrape that I actually saw him using was like the size of a frying pan. I mean, just a yeah. tiny little scrape. He'd come by and work it, and then he'd he'd be on about his business. So he, they weren't in there laying down a lot of sign, but that's a spot that i found kind of heats up a certain time of year. Um, it's like they know when the dough's in that little... Core, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of doe bedding right in there. And I think they yeah. kind of know when those does are going to fire up because the last several years, I've had real good success right around the same days, you know, pretty much every time. So, uh, John, why don't you give us a, a quick introduction to yourself? Like, you know, who are you? What do you like to chase? Um, you know, is, is deer hunting your primary thing? Turkey hunting, pheasant hunting? What do you like to do?
2: Yeah, so growing up, it's been, you know, it's the whole pretty much the whole gamut of outdoor stuff but it was mostly fishing and hunting. Um, I would grow up growing up. We would, especially once I was, once I was 12, 13, I was able to bow hunt. I would go up every single weekend with my dad and my brothers and we would hunt up in Juneau County and, um, that kind of planted the seed. And I really didn't get too much into other hunting until like the last couple of years. Um, I was pretty much strictly pretty hardcore just deer and you know doing some fishing and in the spring I would do a little bit of turkey hunting but it wasn't wasn't too serious about it and then I got into goose hunting a little bit uh, it actually all started with just the back up this like quest of doing all this different hunting kind of started in Montana I went on an elk hunt and I shot and this was last year I believe it or not shot the first bird I've ever shot out of the year and I was like wow that was pretty cool I shot a grouse. And, uh, then I was like, man, I should try to try to do some bird hunting back home. Cause I had always, one of the things that, one of the reasons I'd never duck hunted is I kind of thought you had to have a dog. I just mm. thought that was like one of those things. You have to have a dog. Same with pheasant hunting. Like, oh, you have to have a dog. It's like, well, if you don't have a dog, it's not the, not the end of the world. I mean, pheasant hunting, you can just stumble around and are you, you know, are you going to shoot as many as guys with, guys with dogs? No, definitely not. But you can still get out there and, and do this bird hunting, um, you know, do whatever hunting you want to do. You don't necessarily have to have a dog. And that's kind of what got me into, um, I also, you know, take other people. Um, but yeah, I have really dove into duck goose. Uh, this is the first year I've ever turkey hunted this much and I turkey hunted like every single day it seemed. Um, so yeah, I mean it, it started as deer hunting and then in the last few years it's kind of just exploded and now I kind of want to do everything. Yeah, man,
1: that was, that honestly was kind of part of the motivation of starting the Wisconsin Sportsman podcast when I first started. It was, man, I grew up in the deep South and for me and my family and my context, we hunted turkeys. I mean, we hunted deer and that was it. Like we didn't hunt turkeys. I didn't know other turkey hunters. There were like one or two guys in our, in our lease um, that did turkey hunt. It wasn't a big deal. Uh, it, it was for them, but it wasn't a big deal to other people. And then I got up to Wisconsin and I was like, holy cow, look at this. Like there are pheasants, there are turkeys, there's deer, there's all kinds of stuff that you can do. You can go up north and, and shoot grouse. You can uh, you can fish all over the place for all kinds of different yeah. species. And I was like, man, this Wisconsin really has a lot to celebrate, like a lot to enjoy, a lot to take in as a sportsman, as like a, just a general Sportsman, like just loving to hunt or fish or whatever, just enjoy the outdoors. Um, So we got to talking, obviously, after we met uh, over the phone. And we started talking about my recent trip that was coming up in April. Um, We started texting. I had gotten there, I think, that evening before or something like that. And we were texting one morning and I was out doing some scouting. Or no, no. What was I doing? I don't remember. You were up I, on top of that hill. Well, I drove
2: by your vehicle. I saw Georgia play. That's right. On my way to work. Yep. And I texted and said, hey, you up there right now? And I, Because I saw you walking on that hill too. Yep. Because um, yep. we had planned, we had kind of roughly planned on possibly meeting up when you were, because um, I was getting off work opening morning of the, the first season. That's right. Um, so we planned on possibly meeting up and I was going to be driving by there anyways. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we were texting back and forth afterwards because I had, opening morning I had left a little bit early. Uh, it was oddly a quiet opening morning. There weren't a lot, weren't a ton of gobbles in that area. Uh, there were some guys who had gone back into where I'd seen turkeys roost the day before, and so I think they had probably yeah. just gotten too close to the roost, and so the turkeys didn't really gobble well. Um, <clears throat> but after we were texting for a while, I was like, "Hey, why don't I just stop by your shop? We'll you know hang out for a little bit, meet each other." And uh, we very quickly devised a plan to go after some turkeys that afternoon. Yeah, uh, which was yeah. which was pretty neat, man. That's got to be the fastest that I've ever gone from my first time meeting someone in person to we're hunting together like four hours later. That was uh, yeah. that was pretty cool.
2: Yeah, well, it was like I, I just got this camera and bar. I borrowed my buddy's camera for the turkeys because I wanted to get a bunch of stuff on film. And um, we saw so the, the turkeys I had been watching all you know, all spring were right where they needed to be. And they actually, what we, what me and you did, me and one of my buddies did last year. And the same exact thing happened where we went to go cut them off and we, we ran into turkeys on our way and shot one. So yeah, it was, uh, so yeah, it was like, you know, a setup just like it was last year. It's like, Oh man, let's go, let's go do it again and get it on film. And, and, uh, yeah. And it obviously ended up working out Yeah,
1: that man. My only regret, about my turkey hunt in Wisconsin this year is that it happened too fast. Like it was just yeah. it was just way too quick, man. I really really wish there was a way to that I could have had a second tag that early in the season. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's not going to happen, so next year I think I'll wait until May to come up to Wisconsin so that I can have the two yeah. tags, you know, back to back. But man, it was just it was it was an incredible hunt. So, uh well, man, one of the things that I have done a lot in that area uh, but not to the extent that you have, is finding hunting permission. Because, you know, this spot that we, this this particular spot of public that we like to hunt, you recognize that I killed the deer there. You've scouted all over this place just like I have. Um, it's a great spot for deer. It's a great spot for turkeys. But it, it's also a great spot for people. Like if if you have a goal yeah. of finding a human being in the woods, this would be a really good spot to go to because it is Pressured. Um, why, why do you think this is such a good spot with the amount of human pressure that it gets?
2: I really just think it comes down to the, the habitat and terrain. I mean, a lot of it's just a bunch of nasty crap. Like it is a lot of it isn't, you look at it, it doesn't even look like good habitat. Um, I think that actually plays into it because, There's are some areas that, I mean, there's a lot of areas you walk to, you can't see more than 10 yards. And I think the deer just scared around the pressure. I don't think they really care too much. Um, the thing I've noticed there is, and I've actually shot a few deer doing this, walking around with a gun. Deer, I think the deer there feel very safe because they, they know that, you know, three, four bounds, they're into some stuff that, you know, is so thick You can't even see through it. Yep. Um, and I've shot, I've shot some deer kicking them up and I just, pretty much stand there and wait or I kind of run to an opening away and, and they always seem to stop right at the edge of that stuff. But, um, yeah, I think it's just, just thick, nasty stuff. And you look at like the properties around it and there's, you know, it's all a lot of the same. And one of the things that I think is kind of overlooked is the amount of pressure on private land. The thing about this area is it's a large chunk of public land that's just a bunch of nasty stuff, but it's surrounded by egg fields and a lot of just, you know, strips of wood, stuff like that. So you got all these people hunting around it, um, on the private land. And I think that kind of keeps deer at bay into that public land. And then there's also areas of that public land that are, that take forever to get to. Um, I mean, one of the areas, it's not that far, but it's like, you know, it's about a mile and it takes just forever to get to Mm -hmm. because it's just, you're zigzagging, and you can walk through this stuff fine, but you got to zigzag, you know, getting through it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that all that kind of plays plays into that.
1: Yeah, man, I I think that's a that's a really really good point. Is the 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 deer do there? There's something about the about this place, and I think it has to do with not only the amount of pressure that's on the surrounding properties. Uh, but also with the amount of pressure that this gets, just humans in general, not just hunting pressure, Yeah. combine that with the habitat type and the deer just don't feel that threatened by, yeah by humans. And, and I think it's because they're so confident in the fact that they live in some of the nastiest crap around. Yeah. Like it, it, yeah. it really can be difficult to see. I mean, I've had deer, you know, 20 yards from me walking through some of that stuff and I'm like, I know there's a deer I can. I can make it out, but I can't see it. Like, I can hear it. I can kind of, like, see stuff moving. It's got to be a deer, but I can't see it. I can't get a shot. Well,
2: the, yeah, and the thing is, too, I think the other thing that kind of gets overlooked, too, is, you know, deer hear you walk up through the woods 50 yards away. Unless they get your wind, they don't necessarily know what you are. Yeah. Um, they don't know if you're, you know, they're people, sometimes people give deer a little bit too much credit. I mean, their, their nose is incredible. Their eyesight, you know, has its... Has its advantages, but the fact is, like they hear some crashes through the woods, they don't really know what it is unless they smell it. Yeah. and I think that, I think that, um, you know, with how thick it is, that kind of helps keep the deer a little bit more at ease too. Granted, they're gonna smell you, like they're gonna cross their trail and smell you, but I think they don't get quite as scattered and spooked when you got people walking through the woods. I think they just kind of hang tight. Yeah. Well, and
1: there are so many different uses there too, that like not, not every person there is a threat. I mean, you know, there are pheasant hunters, there's waterfowl hunters, there's hikers, there's kayakers, there's fishermen, there's just people walking their dog. Like there are so many different people out there. And I mean, honestly, I would, I would venture to say in the fall, uh, deer hunters might be a minority, yeah. of of people who oh, yeah. are actually out there like we're the minority most people are doing other
2: stuff yeah i drive by there all the time and a lot of times you you know you, you can kind of sometimes i mean kind of judge a book by its cover but a lot of times you can <laughs> tell you can look at the vehicles and you can pick out what they're doing yeah. um yep. And, you know if they have if they have hunting stickers on the back of their vehicle like they hunt um, for sure. But there's a lot, I see people all the time, get out in playing clothes, walking their dog, doing whatever. So, and, and these deer know, I mean, when I, I used to hunt a park, a county park that had horse trails through it and you could have deer around you. And when you saw somebody coming up the trail, the deer would know they would, they would get alerted before you even knew. And they would get off the trail and they would be 20, 30 years off the trail, tucked into some brush they'll watch those people walk by and then as soon as they get out of sight, they'll gradually kind of ease back into what they're doing. But if you're, you know, I, and the same thing has happened where I've been walking on a trail, I step off the trail and literally five yards off the trail, you know, 10 yards back where I just walked by a group of deer get up and take off. Yep. Like they weren't going to get up. Yep, They were not yep. going to get up. Cause they know they're not, you know, and they the other do too It's like you can almost hunt. You almost want to hunt in plain clothes cause these deer won't even, They'll just think, oh, yeah, that's another walker. Dude, I'm telling <laughs> you. In Camel. I swear, they see you Camel, they're like, that guy's
1: trying
2: to kill me.
1: Yeah, it, dude, it, it has influenced the way I access, for sure. So, like, <clears throat> you know, access in the whitetail world is absolutely huge. You want to make sure your access is good, blah, blah, blah. On this place and on places like it, dude, I just, I just find the most common hiking trail, and I yep. blast right down that thing. I don't try to yeah. be quiet, and I I, I don't worry no. about my flashlight. I just burn through it, and I treat yeah. it like I'm a hiker. And it, it's it, and then you know when it's time to to make the dip, I dip you know ten yards off the hiking trail, twenty yards off the hiking trail, and climb a tree. And man, you're golden
2: when you do that. Yeah, because well, the thing is too, you I really do think scent control becomes a little bit. You know, I, I so my scent control regimen is awful. I, I mean, I don't, oh, yeah. I don't really like try to be super scent free. I try to, I'm just trying to play the wind. Cause I, you know, yep. I think it's a losing battle, but I think in places like this, I mean, these trails are hiked once, twice, at least once, twice a day, you know, yep, it's Easy. not way more than that. You have humid scent. You have humid scent everywhere. So I feel like, and I've noticed that like, I'll get winded and they'll, they, they definitely, they know something's wrong. They know it's more than just somebody walked by an hour ago but they don't blow out like they do in some places. Yep. Um, and you can use that to your advantage for sure. And um, you still got to play the wind, but you can, you know, you can push the limits a little bit. You can, uh, you can, you know, maybe hunt on a wind that's just slightly off. I think that makes a big difference Yeah, uh, with all the people walking around there. Cause they're again, like they're, you know, they're extremely smart, but they're going to have trouble, you know, picking out, oh, it's your scent from a guy in a tree 50 yards away versus somebody that walked by there that morning. I think they can, but yep. I think it, it gets a little bit harder for them.
1: Yeah. For sure. I, I found that I really, like out there, I don't have to worry about my ground scent very much. Now, if yeah. if one gets downwind of me, you know, and, and crosses my scent path, or my, my scent cone, you know, where my wind is blowing or whatever, then you got to worry a bit, but I I mean, I've had a, I've had a ton of deer go downwind of me and never even, never even stop to smell. Yeah. But I've also watched where I've walked a lot of times and the deer, like they'll cross it and they'll kind of get like a little bit curious, like, Hmm, I wonder what that person was doing here earlier. And then they move on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it you know, I, I hunt, uh, I hunt some areas that get comparatively very little pressure and they even get Crosswind of you, and they're already on edge. And if they, I mean, I've had deer wind me from three hundred yards away. Yep. And and those those are areas with no walking trails or anything. This is like really big woods, and those deer, man, they get one. They even come close to you. They even get downwind of your walking trail, and they're already starting to act you. See, they just don't do that around here. Yep. They're uh, they're just more comfortable.
1: Yep, for sure, for sure. Well, man. So we've already started talking about it just a little bit, but uh, one of the things that you do um, because of just, I mean, the nature of, of the area where we hunt, it's, it's ag country kind of through and through with uh, what I would consider pretty high quality deer habitat, not necessarily high quality uh, (laughs) walking through it habitat, um, but it's going to hold deer. It's going to provide them a lot of security. And so we have both, kind of made a practice of gathering almost like collecting um, permission on different properties in the area. Right. Like we, we both have permission on a lot of places and then you pulled out your, your on X hunt app and showed me all the places you have permission. And I was like, Oh, I thought yeah. I had a lot of permission. You, my, my friend have a lot of permission on a lot of different places. So I thought I need to get John on to talk about how he gets permission on a lot of these spots because Holy cow! You've got a lot of permission. So yeah, tell me a little bit about like how did you start going down that road of of you know the proverbial knocking on doors when there's a decent amount of public right out your right out your door.
2: Yeah, so so I I grew up hunting public and I still I hunt public. I mean that deer hunting like I hunt public and I I love hunting public land. There's a lot to it to me to, that that uh, it has a lot of benefits to me that you know, keep me going back to public land. So I'll never look for private land or replace it. Um, what really got me into to knocking on doors and getting permission was goose hunting. Um, we were, it all kind of started with, I was goose hunting quite a bit with a buddy and I, I did have permission at uh, at the farm that I rent for my business. And there were some, uh, some geese in the field we ended up goose hunting. That was the first time I goose hunted. we shot a couple. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool. And I started kind of looking into who's selling on public land and you know, everything comes back to like field hunting. Um, and there are a ton of geese around this area. I mean, they, there is, in the fall, they are everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it started with just driving around and I'd find, you know, a field with geese in it. And I would, you know, I would look at my Onyx app, figure out who owns it um, asking permission. I was finding that a lot of people really didn't care. Um, they were like, yeah, shoot them all. So that's what kind of got me, got me going on it. And then what, what really got me to the point where I was like, okay, I need to get permission on a ton of fields is, you know, you get permission on a couple of fields and with goose hunting, if they're not there, they just aren't there. Mm -hmm. I mean, you gotta, you gotta try to be on the X. So, you know, there's other ways to do it. Like you can traffic birds, you can have, you know, just be in their away and call them in. But the best thing to do is really just to find a field and hunt there the next morning, find a field full of birds, hunt there the next morning. So I started every time I would pass a field, and this was kind of more towards January. So towards the end of the season, I would stop into places and I would ask them about, uh, about, you know, goose hunting. And I would also take my onyx map and I would, I would pin it I, every time I would drive by a field that had any decent, or let's say it's a corn field that's flooded, I would pin it and I would write a description of, you know, why I, I would put it as a point of interest and I would keep it red and I would write, you know, why I wanted to hunt there or whatever. And then I would go back and I would either, you know, if somebody lived on the property, I would try to go to their, I try to go to their house. Um, otherwise I would just Google their name. And a lot of times that'll lead you to a phone number that works for them and just talk to them. And I started doing this and before you knew it, I have like 10 different farms that I had permission on. And the cool thing about it is like, none of these are just random farms. They're farms that there were geese on. Mm. There were ducks on, you know, it's like they are at at one point I drove by and I was like, wow, I got to get permission on that. That's every single piece I have permission on is that case. Exactly where I drive by and it's like, wow, I got to figure out how to get on this. They, it's not like they're just random parcels. So it, that's the cool thing about it is like I've collected these, a lot of these fields that are really good fields for goose hunting in the fall. And then, um, so fast forward, so I get all this permission for, uh, for goose hunting and then fast forward to the spring I started kind of doing the same thing with turkeys. Um, and one of the things that I found was a lot of times you'll ask and you're going to get a no initially. Uh, and if you, you know, strike up a conversation, sometimes you find out like, oh, well, one person hunts it, but they hunt opening week, you know, opening weekend and that's it. And you can, a lot of times you can sneak in, you know, after that, they can, you know, you can get permission to go hunt at, you know, give them kind of first rights and then, and then get permission to hunt later on. Yeah. Man, I
1: I think that this discipline of finding more properties to hunt is, is a good practice for pretty much anybody who wants to spend time outdoors. Even if you've got your favorite public land spot down the street, right? Like, or even if you've got grandma's back 80 that you get to hunt on a couple of things, number one, depending on what you're chasing, there may be times of the year that that's just not a good spot. Like you, you might have years where you don't have the toms or you don't have the geese or you don't have the bucks that you're after on your specific (laughs) property. So it's better to have multiples uh, and I, I think too, um, like, man, I've been in a position before, one of my favorite public land pieces in, uh, in Alabama, it's the place where I killed my first deer and it's the place where I killed my last, uh, Alabama public land buck, um, to date. So, you know, those the first, my first deer ever, the last one that I killed on public land in Alabama, both came on this, this specific piece of, of, of property, 17,000 acres, right? Huge piece of public. Um, never thought that one day I would open up uh, an email and it would be the state sending out an email saying, hey, we're we're shutting that WMA down and it's returning back to private, private hands. Never thought I would lose that. But it, the reality is with a lot of these public lands that we enjoy, a lot of them are just up to the landowner that may be leasing it to the state or they're up to – you know, whatever kind of long term lease deal that may have been enacted 40 years ago, 50 years ago, that could be running out soon. You may lose yeah. that property tomorrow. And then what are you going to do? Then you got to scramble with everybody else and figure out, okay, now where am I going to hunt? You know, and now you're just in the pool with everybody else who's looking for a spot. Whereas, you know, if you start picking up some of these, you know, pieces like you said, you know you're at the right spot. These are places where you've seen geese in the past. These are places where you've yeah. seen turkeys in the past. Like, you've got a reason for seeking permission there. It's not just like, oh, my grandma owns it, so therefore I hunt it. Let's hope some stuff is there. It's like, hey, I'm I'm targeting that specific piece of ground. So, uh, obviously, you kind of alluded to this. The spots that you like to go after are ones that you have seen the target on already, right? Are yeah. there other things that you're like, hey— I want to go after these specific pieces for, for this or that reason. Anything else besides like, Hey, I've seen game on it. Therefore I'm going for it.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I still ask on some of these properties that any property with a lot of woods that looks like a, like a gold mine, you might as well just cross off the list. Cause it's, you know, it's you gotta be realistic. Like if there's somebody that owns, you know, 300 acres and 200 of it is like prime woods deer habitat, like, Someone, I mean, first of all, <laughs> someone hunts, someone hunts everything. Like don't, yeah. Yeah. don't be fooled. Somebody hunts everything. I've had, I've gone on properties before that I've gotten permission. And I walk them and they say that no one hunts them. There's five ladder stands. It's like, you know, whether people are trespassing or, you know, some of these owners, honestly, they give people, permi- they, don't, they don't give anyone permission. Yep. So they give people permission. I don't even remember. They don't even know. I mean, honestly, some of these places are almost like public land where like, Anyone could be on this property and the bone or wouldn't even know the difference. Well, and no, some like, of these folks, say like
1: some of these folks who've gotten permission, just assume that, hey, I got permission last year. Therefore, I have permission forever.
2: You know, right. and, and, and that's though, not the way to go.
1: No, no, not, not, to go to not at all. But you may you're like you said, you may end up in a place that's like public land or, as I have found, uh, some of those spots can be even more crowded because they're a good looking yeah. property yeah. that it's, everybody else is already on. Right.
2: Right. So, so that's one of the things I don't get too, too worked up or excited about asking permission on properties that look like absolute gold. Cause I just assume that, you know, and you ask any of these people, they all have people, especially there's turkeys in a field for a few days, like, or geese, every one of them, it seems like I've been, you know, beat to where, somebody, you know, they've already had three people ask or this or that, or, um, some of the people they don't get permission to. And then if you talk to them a little bit more, you figure out the circumstances, like why they won't give permission. That can also help too. Um, you kind of alluded to this and you're with your, uh, your Iowa, the Iowa turkey. It's like, if you, if you kind of start up a conversation, and you're decent with the people, they'll, they kind of get the story and why they're saying no. Sometimes that opens the door. Um, so, the, like all the turkeys I shot this year were on one time. There were, there were one time permission flips essentially. So, um, both of them, there were turkeys in the field. I stopped by, they initially said, no, I started, you know, struck up the conversation and, you know, I find out like, okay, they got, you know, somebody hunting it, but they already had their season. So that was the case with one of the properties I asked. So I was like, well, can I just, just like, just for today, can I go after these turkeys? And he said, oh, yeah, sure, that's not a problem. Like, you can get a lot of that, too. So now, in the future, if there's turkeys in that field, I know I can call that guy, and I might not be able to go after him, but he's already said once, yes, once. So uh, you can also kind of collect permissions like that where, you know, if – if there's, if you're driving around looking for turkeys to chase, you know, that, okay, if they're in this field, check this field. Okay. There's turkeys there. I've gotten permission in the past to, to go there and then you just ask permission again. Um, and that's, I always try to, you know, I'll get permission. Sometimes you get permission from somebody and then they talk, you know, that night they talk to their, you know, brother, blah, blah, blah this or that. And they're like, I shouldn't have given permission. So I always double check with people too. I always check in after, you know, before I, before I go hunting, whether it's the day before, or a couple of days before I let them know when I'm going to be there. Um, and then some people just, you know, I, and I'll make it clear. Like I want, I want to know what people want me to do when I hunt their land. So if they want me to check in like the day before, want me to call them check in day of, um, most of them honestly just don't care um, if they're giving you permission. If they're giving permission to some random person off, you know, that just comes knocking to their door. They typically, they don't really care too much. Um, but but then starting up conversations with them too gives you a lot of information. Uh, even if you, I've gotten denied permission from some places because you know I just have too many people hunting, but I started talking to them, and their properties like you know very close to some public land that I hunt, and they give me really good information that I can use. Yeah. So, that, that's another, I mean, benefit of just talking to people, if you, you know, if, if somebody were to knock on my door and ask for permission, you know, if I own a hundred acres and somebody asked me permission to, you know, to deer hunt my land, of course I'm going to say no. <laughs> like I, I deer hunt, you know, and it's not that big. It's like, of course they'll say no, but I'm not opposed to talk to them and just tell, you know, talk to them about what I'm seeing, even if, you know, if it's during the run, what I'm seeing for, you know, run activity, um, how deer kind of use the area? Like I, I have no problem talking to people about that. So you can get that out of people too. Uh, if you just strike up conversations yeah. and then there's also the issue of being able to, um, being able to like track deer onto somebody's land. You know, I have a lot, a lot in the public land. I've talked to, you know, surrounding landowners, none of them have a problem with it. They just want to know, um, they just want to know, you know, if you shoot one and you got to track on their land, they just want to know that you're going to be doing that. So
1: yeah, and um, I think that that's, that's huge another. just just getting to know people. Like it's especially if you already hunt the area, it's worth it to go have those conversations about permission just to get to know that individual. So that if you have yeah. to make the call later, hey, I shot a deer on the neighbor's property. You know, I I need to track it onto yours. Well, if you're a totally random person, then Who knows how that could go. But if you've had a great conversation with him in the past, hey, remember, Mr. Jones, I I stopped by in uh, in July of last year and asked if I could hunt here, and you told me no, but I have been hunting the property next door. I shot one that ran onto your property, and he's, oh, yeah, I remember you now. And then all of a sudden you've got permission, whereas he may have made it difficult for you had he not known who you were. Because he could have suspected, and I've run into this before, oh, you shot a deer that ran onto my property, huh? And now I suspect that I I suspect that you really trespassed. You know,
2: you you shot one on my property. Happens a lot. Yep, absolutely (laughs) it does. A lot it does. Yep. And you can tell the properties that that's happening on because there's uh, no trespassing signs posted every ten feet of the public land. So (laughs) you can tell. I mean, you can tell the people that you know. The other thing too is it's like if I you know come up and there's no trespassing signs every ten feet, there's a pretty good chance you're going to get turned down. But um, but yeah, I mean it's. that's kind of how I approach it. Um, I, I look for, first of all, like for goose and turkey hunting, I want to ask permission on places that geese and Turkey want to be. It's, it's really as simple as that. You just drive around and, you know, you can either mark them and come back later. Cause the one thing is sometimes you'll pull up, uh, especially with a uh, country where, there's these corporations that own a ton of, ton of land or it's in an LLC that is, it's very unclear about who the landowner might be. Um, so what I do with that is I'll look up LLCs. I'll, so like with Wisconsin, I just Google Wisconsin LLC, look up and it takes you to their system where you can look up their LLC and you can see who the registered agent is. And the registered agent for small businesses, the registered agent is typically the, the you know owner of the business or owner of the LLC for larger corporations it would be uh the registered agent will be like a, a a law firm or um some kind of property management firm but you can I've gotten in contact with people by going that route where i call the the law office and figure out who's in charge of the property um and then that's how you get the information on who's truly who is who is the person to talk to if I wanted to get permission? And a lot of times with the bigger corporations, it ends up being local farm farmers. Yeah. Um, I haven't had too much luck getting permission on land like that because it seems like they all, cause those are all usually extremely large expanses of land and it's usually either leased or, uh, or like the, you know, there's the farmer's families on it or whatever. I mean, you, those are kind of tough ones.
1: Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point-of-view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game-changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with a sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know just how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm gonna be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, tacticam.com and share your hunt with Tacticam. I've run into that as well. It seems at first like there's just this wall of the LLCs where it's like you pull up the Onyx app and you're looking and you're like, oh, it's an LLC. Like how in the world would I ever figure that out? But like you said, if you do just a little bit of homework, just a little bit of Googling, you can find out who's behind that. And, you know, granted, yeah, if it's a 350, 400 acre piece in prime territory for whitetails like southern wisconsin is it's probably leased already but who knows that you might catch it at the right time you might i mean i've got one lady uh there in southern wisconsin who owns this company and uh it's, it's leased out so she can't let anybody hunt it it's one of the ways she makes revenue off of the property but i've told her if this lease ever 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 comes available will you please call me And she's like, I don't have anybody else waiting in line. So if this comes available, I'll call you, you know? So, and I've, I've checked in with her via email a couple of times, just to say, Hey, I'm still around. You know, if this ever comes available, I would love to lease this property from you because it's gorgeous. And it's right there by, you know, where I'm hunting already. Any other, um, I guess things that make a property stand out to you that you're like, ah, that's one I I really
2: need to target or have we pretty much covered it? I pretty much covered it. it. It really, I mean, it really comes out, you know, for deer hunting, it's a little bit different. That's when you're going to start to get into more like looking for the right habitat, this and that. But like with goose and, and uh turkey, it's really a matter of just driving around at times that you would usually be hunting and take note of where the birds are. I mean, that's yeah. all, there's not much to it. I mean, with, with goose and duck hunting, there's a little bit more to it. You're looking for properties. It's good to have properties with water close by water, um, but far enough away that you're not blowing their roost. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's really just a matter of finding the birds that you want to hunt and that's where you're going to hunt. That's where you get permission. And then, like I said, you can make these rounds. I have a specific route I take home from work and I still do it. I, I check every single field and I take note of when, when there's birds there, um, whether it's morning, you know, around noon, evening, um, how long are they there for? So like, are they there for like four or five days in a row? Are they just randomly there one day and then not there again? And then I also take a look at like how they're coming into the field, where they're going. Um, so if you get, and this turkey season was a great example. Towards the end of the turkey season, I'll take her out home. But there was three different, three different fields I have permission on. And they're all really well set up for, um, cutting off birds and sneaking up on birds. And, almost every single day that I drove by there, at least one of those fields had a Tom, if not more than I could make a, make a on. you know? So like once you collect those, I mean, if you have like one field, you hunt, you drive by there and there's no turkeys in it. Well, your hunt's done for the day because yeah. they're just not there. You know, they're, they're just not there because yep. a lot yep. of these areas I have permission on, they don't have these vast expanses of, of woods or anything. Like it's like just, field like literally just a crop field with maybe a tree line in it and you know especially with turkey hunting like they seem to kind of be in the same field all day and then they go into the woods and if you can't kind of chase them into the woods then there's not much to hunt so you stack those permissions you know even if it's just a few fields that have had that you've seen turkeys in before you make those you know those routes those drives and you you have a much better chance of at least seeing some birds that you can make a play on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think <clears throat> what you just said there is a, is a really good point, And I want to emphasize it just real quick. Like not only, you know, like you said, if you've only got permission on one place, you drive by it, there's no birds in the field. Well, you're not hunting today because there's no birds there. Or you can go sit in a blind and just hope something shows up. But honestly, that's just not how, how I really like to turkey hunt.
2: Um, yeah. It'd be successful. I mean, it's a really good way to hunt, but it's just, I would rather not kill a bird running and gunning, doing what I really like to do than, yep. than almost be guaranteed a bird sitting in the blind. I just, yep. I want to, I want to call one in or I want to crawl up to him. Yep. One of the two. Well, and and, anything in between that is just like, man,
1: <laughs> it's a consolation you know? prize. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Yeah. But, but if you know, one thing you can run into, and I've seen this on properties, uh, not on a year like this year where it just looks like, man, the, you hunt zone two, like you can affirm this for me. Everybody that I've had on the show to talk about it so far has affirmed zone two is just nuts this year. It's full of birds. Yeah. Uh, next year should be incredible too, but we'll see. Um, but there are times where, you know, if you've got seven days to hunt, let's say, let's say you've got season B and the birds aren't on that property at the beginning of season B, there's a chance you're not going to have birds on that property
2: at all. So that one field, I was watching that one field that we ended up going back to try to cut off. And they, I I remember telling you this, they, a week before the season started, they disappeared for a week. And they didn't, I didn't see them again until like the day before or two days before the season. So, and that was the, the the video I sent you of like the 50 of them in that, that land you had permission on that you said you hardly ever see turkeys on. Yep. Well, they were there every single day for like a week or two prior to the season's opening. And yep. then, then that week before the season, they just disappeared. Fortunately, they came back, but they were gone. Like I wouldn't see any turkeys in those fields at all for like a week before the season started. I was kind of thinking like, Oh no, I jinxed <laughs> it. Cause I was, I was sending you pictures and, you know, telling you like, oh man, those birds are there. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. like five or six times, and then they just disappear for a week. And yeah, if that happens during your season. Well, you got you got to have a backup plan, yeah. um, or a backup and a backup plan. A B C D. I mean, that's kind of the goal, and it, it is. It's hard. It is hard to do that on public land. I mean, public land is it's public land is a tough hunt. I love hunting public land, but like especially get further into the season, it's really nice to have some you know, private access that you can at least kind of hope that you're getting away from some pressure.
1: Yeah. I think, I think that when it comes to public land, I I'll hunt deer on public land all day long. No problem, man. Hunting turkeys on public land is another Uh beast. Like it, it's just another thing because the kind of pressure you put on when you're turkey hunting it's just different than the kind of pressure you're putting on a property when you're deer hunting. If you've got eight or nine guys running and gunning on 1,000 acres, man, you can burn that 1,000. All of you, collectively, can burn through that 1,000 acres pretty quick. You know, well, I mean, you figure there's there's only
2: one or there's only probably a couple. Well, in the case of this year, there's like 10 flocks of on that 1,000 <laughs> acres. But, I mean, you typically, I mean, there's, yep. there's what, a couple flocks on that probably? Yep and especially if they're the flocks are kind of together i mean one person out of those eight could bump them in such a way that they fly across the road or something and then there are literally zero turkeys in that thousand acres yep you know where you know if you go there the next day it'll be right back there but probably but i mean you bump them the wrong way one time and you're already out of the game
1: yeah absolutely absolutely and not every year can be like this year where we went back in there and we were chasing what was it five or six toms in the field and then yeah. we sat down and called in four that we thought may be those, but then when we left we drove past that field and realized none of those had left the field. Yeah. <laughs> so we had what well, nine <laughs> nine or ten toms right there in a yeah, three hundred yard circle or whatever
2: it was. Well, this is the second year in a row we've done that. So I like I said, I so last year, um, I took one of my buddies out there. I shot one on, on the field, you know, off the roof. And then we did the same thing last year that me and you did. And we got quite a bit further, but same thing. I, I'm a huge, I never walked more than like a hundred yards without yelping um, at least softly because the last thing you want to do is walk right into a willing bird without knowing it. I mean, yep if they're not gobbling and I bump a, a Tom that doesn't want to play the game anyways, I don't care. I mean, that's, I didn't want to shoot that one anyways. I want to shoot the ones that are typically I try to shoot the ones that come into calling. Cause I think it's more fun to get them all riled up. But, sure. but yeah, I mean, I, that's, that's important to note is I, I never, ever, ever walk through the turkey was without yelping. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I have shot so many turkeys, you know, way off of where I was trying to get to by doing that. Yeah. And it's even if, just as you're walking to keep a mouth call in and just three or four yelps and just keep walking. You know, you don't even necessarily have to listen for your Um Every once in a while, I'll stop and like really listen, but you know, then you have what ha- what happened to us and it's just like, oh wow, good thing it didn't just blow right through because we definitely would have, you know, bumped those birds and yeah, never even known that they were willing to play the game.
1: Yeah. We had gone a total of 45 yards into the woods or maybe yeah. maybe not even yeah. that far like we might not have been 45 yards up into the woods i can yeah it was, i'm not, it not was sure <laughs> uh, it was
2: pretty quick it was pretty quick cuz i know i know for a fact that i wouldn't have i wouldn't walk that far into a tree land without calling yeah so, <laughs> so well, you know it's interesting
1: now our our mutual our our my buddy and now your new buddy scott uh yeah. we went into that that spot where i killed this year he and i went into there last year and we he almost killed a bird right there. Um, yeah, we had one responding. It's a, it's a
2: hot spot. It
1: is, and he we had a bird that was locked up, and I couldn't figure out why he wouldn't come into us. And so we kind of kept working our way through there, and eventually it just I I think we must have we must have bumped him or something. It just he he we couldn't get him in, uh, and then we saw a turkey head kind of poking up and looking around, and I was I couldn't tell if we had maybe bumped him or or what happened, but. Anyway, um, back to to talking about permission. Um, you know, I think we've made a pretty good case that it's important, that everybody should do it. Uh, one more thing that I'm looking for that I was just going to throw out there. Number one, I'm looking for places that are adjacent to properties that already have permission to hunt. Like yeah. if there's a public piece, I'm going to ask permission on the surrounding public pieces. And I may get a lot of no's, but like you said, I, I begin to get to know landowners. And then you can start talking to them about things like, hey, can I park my car here and access through your property so that I don't have to walk a mile around? Uh, Or, hey, can I track a deer onto your property? Or, you know, just getting to know the landowner. I feel like it can't be a bad idea to get to know the landowners around the places where you hunt. Um, And it's also really helpful. Like, if you're hunting on Bob's Place, you call, you know, John, who lives next door, and say, hey, John, I'm hunting Bob's Place. You know, I'm wondering if you'd be okay with me hunting your place too. I'm already going to be out here, um, so I'm just yep. curious if, if you, want, you know, would be willing to do that. And that does a couple of things for you. Number one, it concentrates your, your hunting, so you don't have to worry about that property line if you need to make a move. But number two, like you said, when you're scouting these places, especially if you're uh, blessed with a situation like, like we've got there in, in southern Wisconsin, where you can make yeah. a big loop, you know, you can make the rounds, so to speak, and check the different fields, you can scout really efficiently, and in 30 minutes, you've got all the intel you need for the next day. Yeah. You know, and you've covered thousands of acres in 30 minutes of driving.
2: Yeah, and I was actually I was actually just thinking of bringing up the same thing. It's kind of something I left out is, uh, is getting permission around public because, like, the bird that Scott shot, um, we had a lot of different options with that that set up because of the fact that it backed up the public land. So like, and part of the problem with that property and a lot of these properties is there's no cover, you know, going towards the turkeys from the road. Like a lot of times the cover is just not very good. So you got to be able to get back behind them and well, what better way to do that than to cut through some public land that butts up to, you know, a private field. And we could have that turkey that he ended up sneaking up on. I mean, we, the right, I mean, the, the better play would have been to back out, go to the public land, and we could have easily circled around there without much of a problem, but we ended up getting kind of stuck in a spot where we had to we had to make the play because we couldn't get out. Um, but, yeah, that, that gives you a lot more options. And then it also, those like a lot of these deer, all pretty much all these deer and turkeys, like they all, especially in this case, like they live on that public land. Yeah, That's where they live, especially with deer. You find, so it's like, you know, you have all these private fields with all this food, all, all this private with all this food, nice, like managed oak wood, stuff like that. And then you got this public land that's all just a bunch of just nasty stuff. And those deer are going to live in that stuff. And they're going to handle the pressure on the public because they have the security and they also get pressured from that private land. Yep. So more on the public land tends to be really good good betting area because it's, it's just really thick, nasty stuff. And like farmers aren't going to buy, like historically farmers wouldn't buy stuff like that, you know? Um, so it, it tends to be public land because it's the least value of the land, but it also the least value of the land happens to be the best land for, for deer and turkeys and all kinds of other animals.
1: Yeah. It may not be great for a field, may not be great for a nice food plot, but it's really good yeah, for bedding. Exactly. And it's really good for yeah.
2: security. Um all the invasive species. <laughs> yeah.
1: No joke, man. Oh
2: my goodness. Anytime they're taking out invasive species, it's like, oh well, they're ruining that deer hunting spot. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right. That's right. Uh so one more thing that I was going to hit on briefly, um, when it comes to getting permission in spots that you're looking for specifically. And I'm curious if you look for kind of the same thing or if at least it piques your interest. One of the things I really, really like you know, obviously a lot of these ag fields or a lot of these properties you get access to, they've planted as much of it as they possibly can. You may have a nice little strip of woods. I love finding ones with a little bit of topography where it will allow me to yeah. travel through that field a little bit undetected maybe, or ones that dip off towards the back. You know, they maybe it hits the back property yeah. line and they dip way down uh, because I've found animals, you know, turkeys and deer really like to use those dips. And then also, um, you know, ag fields with ditches in them, like if they've got a brushy ditch line somewhere, man, those spots are money. And people will look at that and think, that's not going to hold any deer. But you would be shocked out of how many deer will come out of, you know, a 200-yard long brushy ditch.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's a really good point. Um, And part of the challenge for me is especially with – I always try to to consider when I – when I'm you know, looking at properties, especially if I see like geese flying into it, um, I look at areas that you can't see from the road. Yeah, Those areas are gold. Um, yep. The problem with that is, especially with how I approach it, is a lot of times there could be, you know, there could be a bunch of turkeys in a field that I, you know, I can't see. Um, so I never even ask permission on a lot of those. But if I can find a property that has, a good amount of land that you can't see from the road because the other thing too is when there are turkeys or geese or deer in those areas, less people see it. So less people ask permission. Yep. So it's a matter of finding those properties, which may, is kind of tough because you know I'm like everyone else I'm driving around. If I see geese or turkeys, it's like, Oh yeah, that'd be a good place to hunt. Um, but finding areas that trying to find areas with that kind of cover that you're talking about where, where it'll, it'll cover up the fact that there's deer, turkey, geese or whatever, but then it also allows you to, you know, a good place to to sit an ambush or a good place to, you know, a good fence line to, to crawl along and to get up to some turkeys that are in a fence line. Um, yeah. Those are pretty key. Yeah,
1: for sure. So now that um, we've given away all of our secrets and all the places yeah. that we like to hunt are going to be bombarded by people asking permission, any tips? And we'll kind of, we'll kind of wrap it up with this. Any tips for people having those conversations? Like, anything you lead with or any ways of carrying yourself or things to say or things not to say that you try to stick to that you think have helped you be, be effective.
2: I never say the word deer. Um, <laughs> in all seriousness, never, just don't even, yeah. never start yeah. with that, never finish with that, never have that in the middle. I never, I really don't have very many, uh, private permissions for deer hunting. Yeah. Um, I've, I've really focused on uh turkey and geese, but i do know a couple of them may turn into some deer hunting um, privileges but um yeah i just i'll especially if they're either outside working or i'll i'll stop by if they're out just to chat um, and i kind of usually just start with some small talk and i you know they they know they know exactly what I'm there for especially if i sometimes when i'm you know out about hunting i'll stop and I'm wearing camo. it's like they know exactly why I'm there. Yeah. Uh, make small talk. I, you know, my shop, I rent a shop right in the middle of all the, all the permission I have. And I, a lot of times I'll leave with that. I'll say, Hey, I rent the shop down the road. It kind of ties you to the area a little bit or, you know, say, Hey, I'm, I'm so-and-so from, I live in, and I hunt in this area. I do a lot of hunting on public land. I'm just trying to, you know, get a few more, you know, place to hunt one place I went to was my daughter, um, that really was effective because she's four and who could say no to a four year old. So I brought her out sure. of the car and we walked up to the door and they just pretty much said yes immediately. I didn't even really have to ask. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh but yeah, I mean it's I, I make my intentions pretty clear and I also make it clear that uh that, you know, I, I'm willing to it's their rules, it's their their property. They can make whatever rules they want. Even if I think they're absolutely ridiculous, I just won't hunt them. That's fine. Um, it's, you know, I, I'm a big believer in property owner rights. And and uh, yeah, if they, you know, if they want me to, you know, I, I can deer hunt it, but I have to shoot two does before I shoot a buck or something weird like that. Like, yeah, okay. That's the rule for that property. I'm not going to fight it. And I make that very clear so that, uh, because then a lot of times a lot of stuff comes up like, oh, okay, well, I don't want you to drive in the field when it's wet, you know, that's common sense, but you know, that gives them an avenue to kind of bring up to the stuff that they're, they, a lot of these, a lot of people, a lot of homeowners, or a lot of property owners have been burned. Um, yeah. And I think you found that out in Iowa and yep. I think just, you know, showing yourself as somebody who's not going to disrespect it. Um, I'm always, especially once I do get permission, I'm super appreciative. I always, I, the one that I, that I shot a turkey on, um, I actually went back a couple of weeks later just to thank them because I didn't, I wasn't able to catch them that day. I just went back to thank them because they didn't have to let me hunt it. You know, it's like yeah. none of these property owners have to let us on their property. That's right. So you got to, you know, especially once you get permission, it's not over. Like you need to show your appreciation. Um, And it's, you know, it it doesn't take much just stopping by and saying thank you. If you shoot one, go show them. You know, they want to see it a lot of times. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I'd say just introduce yourself. If you can tie yourself to the area. Um, Another one I've used too is, uh, you know, like I hunt so-and-so's land. That is a good vetting process, too, because if they know that person and they're like, oh, well, if he let them hunt, you know, and let them hunt on his property. He must be all right. Yeah. So that's that's just a few of the things. Um, every conversation you go a little bit different. I've had plenty of conversations that start and end before they even start, you know, (laughs) you walk up and they're pretty much just like, they come to the door. Nope. Yeah. Like, okay. See you later. You've been asked before. Yep. Yeah. which it's fine. It's, but I I do try to make small talk and I, even if I get a null, I do, you know, I, I don't try to pressure, but, I do kind of ask, not necessarily ask, like, oh, why can't I hunt? But, like, I ask, like, oh, does, you know, do you have people hunting the property? And then you start to get a little bit more information, and then you fall into some of these situations where, yeah, you know, so-and-so hunts it, but, you know, he had his turkey season last week. So then that opens the door to, well, do you think it'd be all right if I, you know, if I just hunted it? Now, since he's not hunting, and then they think about it like they didn't even know that was an option, yeah. Um, yeah, which you know, and then you can know, get permission that way, yeah. So, there's a lot of ways to even if you get turned down, that you could you know, you keep talking to them, and and you can even, like I said earlier, you can get a lot of good information about stuff that's going on in the area. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's every interaction is a little bit different, but I've had people like invite me into their house, offer me beer, offer me coffee and talk my ear off for, you know, 45 minutes. One guy I talked to for an hour and I learned the entire history of the whole area, Um, (laughs) which is really cool. I mean, I like, he was an older guy. He clearly like, as soon as he opened the door, it was like, Ooh, this guy is, he needs, uh, he needs some interaction, some social interaction. Like, cause you know, he just talked my ear off about all the different, uh, you know, the different properties, different farm and farms and, you know, who does what. And, and it's, uh, it's pretty cool talking to those people though. Cause you, you learn a lot about the area as well. And, and uh, yeah, it's, you know, I've had some really good conversations with people that have ended in permission. Some that haven't. I mean, I've talked to, there's some people I've talked to, you know, for half an hour to an hour that end up not giving me permission, but that's not necessarily what it's all about.
1: Yeah. I think, I think viewing it as managing relationships is a super good way to go about it. I mean, you've got to, you know, you've got to view those people and talking with them as a valuable thing in and of itself. Because if, yeah. if they're just a means to an end of their, to the end of getting on their property, uh, first of all, that kind of makes you just greedy. And you should probably, you should probably go examine yourself a little bit. Uh, but but second of all, like they they will feel unappreciated. You know what I mean? They they yeah. will feel demeaned and and that's just not a good way of going about it. But I, you know, I I have way fewer properties than you, um uh, but I have on on my properties that I hunt, I have deer hunting permission on I think all but all but one. Now, some of that is, "Hey, you can hunt here anytime except for rifle season." Some of it is, "Hey, you can hunt here anytime gun season whenever you can hunt, I don't care." And then some of it is you can't hunt here until after gun season. So you can't hunt here early season. You can't hunt the rut or gun season, but you can hunt here starting like mid-December, you know, and then you can bow hunt after yeah. that. So, you know, it's different kinds of pro- of permission. It's not just, yes, show up and hunt deer, but it's, it's, it's staggered, you know, where like different places open up to me throughout the year, which I really, really like. Like I've got one place that I'm like, Hey, it's a doe factory. And when I want to shoot a yeah. doe, that's where I go. And I've got one yeah. spot that I'm like, hey, that's a late season buck factory, and I haven't killed one there yet. But one of these years, I'm going to be up there during the late season, and I'm going to get a crack at a nice buck. Yeah. And because I know exactly where they're betting now, the the trick on this place is, I don't know if I can get on the property without a buck knowing that I'm there, <laughs> just because it's yeah. so it's so open and where they bet. I'm like, ah, I don't even know how to get at him. You know, uh, my best All bet's going be to be only sneak one away. way to find out. Yep, that's right. Keep yeah. trying it. Keep trying it. So. Uh, yeah, man, really good conversation. I think something that people are going to take away a lot from. Uh, if people want to see more from you, where can they where can they find you? I know you've got some woodworking stuff that you do, so I'd love for you to talk about that and maybe uh, tell folks where they can find your uh,
2: find your work. Yeah, so I have a Facebook page and a website. It's Livingwood Creations. Um, I do uh, I build a lot of furniture. I'm actually a full time firefighter. Uh, that's what I do do full-time and then I do the woodworking on the side but we specialize in taking tree removal um, logs and milling them into lumber and making them into furniture and we do all kinds of stuff around the Dane County area. We're starting to grow quite a bit so uh, yeah we're getting into doing like trim work and houses and do a lot of like live edge tables and stuff like that so yeah living wood creations and that's about it. I don't do much posting for, like, hunting and that, but sure. maybe that will be coming soon. There you go. There you go. Well, John, thanks for your time, buddy. Yeah.
1: That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you could leave me a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. You can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at how to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics, guests, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show. And if you're looking for more great outdoor content, check out thesportsman'sempire.com, where you'll find my other podcast, the How to Hunt Deer podcast as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts. And until next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.